Welcome to our Weird History episode, where we seek to bring you tales of the strange and unusual throughout history. Before we get into what this week's topic is about, which again, I do not know, I would like to ask everybody to please leave us a rate and review. Pretty please. It's how people find us. It also tells us some of your thoughts on how you feel about this podcast, which we like to know. Also, if you don't want to do it in a rate and review, please let us know via our email, all at gmail. You got an idea? You have a topic you want to hear about? Let us know. We also have our lovely social medias, History Explains All. I just tried to give you our uh, Gmail again. One second. It's History Explains It All underscore podcast for our social medias, which are Facebook and Instagram. So what is our topic? Weird medieval music. Medieval music was already weird. Yeah, okay, and let's let's just change up the weird part and call it bizarre. How bizarre are we talking? Well, the stories are based off of two sketches from horrible histories. Let me put it that way. Oh god. So bizarre. This is gonna be real strange. You're pulling it from weird, weird, horrible histories, weird histories. We're doing weird weird history history. being pulled from horrible histories. (laughs) (laughs) And each, you're pulling it from horrible histories. If you don't know what that TV show is, check it out. It's awesome. If you don't know, you're missing out. Yeah. This is not sponsored by the the way. (laughs) This is just us being absolute nerds about that show. As we say, almost every episode. That's true. I mean, we do quote it in several episodes i think if we're not quoting horrible histories we're usually quoting blackadder or blackadder yeah 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 i mean i don't see any blackadder quotes from going on in this episode but um it's, no sausage it's a bizarre episode let's get into this bizarreness my brain is probably never going to be ready so just go for it yep and um each episode is going to be more bizarre than the last. All right, sorry. Each there's three three parts to this, and each one is more bizarre than the last one. I was really confused. I was like, "What is this? A three parter weird history?" No, I I mean I could maybe, but I haven't gotten to that yet. Um, I don't know that I have a topic I want to spend three episodes on just to go over weird history. But in terms of this one, it'll be interesting when you find one. Oh, no, I'm sure that I have some. I just don't know that I want to break it up into multiple parts. I don't I don't know that I see a reason for it. But, hey, if the listeners want a multi-part weird history, I'll be happy to do a multi-part weird history. They should let us know in a, what are those things called? Comments. That. Comments, social, email. You know where to find us. So, in terms of music, uh, or at least in terms of bizarreness, so we, uh, as I'm, uh, we've covered on this channel before, there's been some strange inventions throughout much of history, to say the least. There's also been practical ones. And then, as I've said about this episode, there's just the category of absolute bizarre. So today, we're going to delve into three bizarre items of musicality that come from the medieval area er, era and as i said each one is more bizarre than last so 
hope you enjoy. And then just a fair warning to start off before I go into any of this. There will be references to animals and the possibility of torture, animal torture to be specific. Um, the first two that I'm going through over, we're not sure they even actually existed. So as far as I know, the first two pieces on this episode were just ideas. As far as we know, they never existed. And as far as I know, no animals were ever harmed. But fair warning up front. The medieval so era is- was not always the best era. <laughs> so this is kind of like, here, this is pre-warning if you don't want to hear about animal torture in well, the medieval possible. era. Okay, I'm sorry. Of the possibility of medieval torture. I like how I said medieval, medieval animal torture. Well, the first two are. The last one is, it's not about, it has nothing to do with animals. Okay, but we're not, so you're saying those first two about the animals were not 100% sure actually occurred. Correct. Okay, I wanted to make sure I was 100% on the same page. And I am. Pray, continue. I'm not sure I want to hear about this either, but I don't have choices. (laughs) Well, I mean, I could talk this by myself. You always have a choice, but I am. They're interesting and weird and bizarre. So I just, if they were okay to show in horrible histories for a small skit, I think it's okay to share the information. So now the first on our list is an instrument that apparently has been occasionally making the conversational rounds for over 400 years and before i begin to tell you what the object is you're a cat mom and you're you've got your your parents have a cat you've been around cats your thoughts on the noises that cats make the meowing the screeching your thoughts real quick my thoughts real quick i like the meowing sometimes really depends if it's really loud screechy meow no I don't enjoy it very rarely but when it's like meow and they're just seeking attention or they want comfort that's fine what my cat likes to do however is meow in my face like meow with her really bad stinky breath (laughs) I don't enjoy that at all but I think my favorite noise is when they're happy purring. I wasn't referencing purring. Purring is always a good sound. I was more like the screeching, the fighting, the loud meows, the, hey, I'm hungry, mom, feed me. Oh, I hate the hissing. My, My cat and my mom's cat, they don't get along. So we actually actively keep them separate. And when they do meet each other, it's two ends of whatever space they're in and hissing at each other and like, we just have to separate them so that it doesn't turn into a cat fight. Like not, oh, human cat fight, no, a cat fight. Yeah, I think I could probably safely say that most people don't enjoy the hissing and cat fight and angry noises. Oh, the the angry noises are what bother me the most. I don't enjoy the angry noises. Can't imagine anyone really does. I don't mind the like meowing for cat food. 
it doesn't bother me as much, but she doesn't do it right in my ear. This one's not pleasant sounds. So I I just wanted to get your thoughts as a cat mom on the angry cat noises. No one likes them. That's going to suck. Yeah, they suck. Okay. So before I tell you exactly what it is, let me read you a brief description. And this is a description of a procession for the King of Spain, Philippe II, while he was on tour over in Brussels in 1549. This is the first known description of this instrument that involves cats. 1549. All right. So the description says, when the King of Spain, Philippe II, was in Brussels in 1549, visiting his father, Emperor Charles V, each saw the other rejoicing at the sight of a completely singular procession. At the head marched an enormous bull whose horns were burning, between which there was also a small devil. Beyond the bull was a young boy who was sewn into a bearskin who rode on a horse whose ears and tail were cut off. Then came the archangel St. Michael in bright clothing, carrying a balance in his hand. The most curious, though, was on a chariot that carried the most singular music that can be imagined. It held a bear that played the organ. Instead of pipes, there were 16 cat heads, each with its body confined. The tails were sticking out and were held in place as the strings of a piano. If a key was pressed on the keyboard, the corresponding tail will be pulled hard and would produce each time a lamentable meow. The historian Juan Cristobal Clavete noticed the cats were arranged properly to produce a succession of notes of different octaves. Well, it was horror to cats, like screeching, oh. I don't like that sound. Well, nobody likes the sound of an angered cat. That's what I started off with. It's called the cat organ from nine, from 1549. I still wouldn't want to hear cats on an organ. I wouldn't want to hear cats in a successive octave procession making notes like a piano. That's just weird. No, it's like meow, 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 meow. It's like, it, it's like the, the, it re- basically it reminds me of the ad for, um, I can't remember. It's, it's a cat food ad. That's it. Meow, 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 meow. That kind of comes up at the end of this portion. Oh, I already figured something out. <laughs> so continuing, um, Athanasius Kircher, who was a Jesuit scholar and inventor who is on our list, someday we'll get to him, made a note about this organ in his book, Music Musurgia Universalis, which he published in 1650. And it actually features the animals quite heavily from the noises of bees and other insects to bird songs. And then also a mention of this cat organ. But the musicology book is really more about the sounds of nature and the, the type of the, the, the sounds of music that they make, not so much using them in terms of creating an instrument, but the instrument, the insects and animals as their own vocal instruments, like humans and singing. And a quote from his book actually reads, the player of such a piano, and they go back and forth between organ and piano, so it's, it's a bit of both, would select cats whose natural voices were at different pitches and arrange them in cages side by side so that when a key on the piano is depressed, a mechanism above 
drives a sharp spike in the appropriate cat's tail. The result would be a melody of meows that became more vigorous as the cats became more desperate. Now, I said it at the top, and I'll say it again, to ease the horror of everyone listening, the cat piano slash organ is believed to have never actually existed. I'm really glad it was just an idea, or I'm really hoping it was just an idea. Well, I said and never came to fruition. Yeah. What? Yeah. No. No. I am. I may not enjoy all animals. I'll be honest. I don't. One cat is more than enough for me, but that doesn't mean I'm okay with torturing them. I'm not. Well, when we we did horrifying, we did slightly cover torture when we talked about our animal court episode and the that one um that was also horrifying by the way that was horrifying but that was real there's a book yeah at least it was a book i was horrified then and i am horrified now well let's let's see if maybe we can um fix that up a little bit so as i said we don't believe this ever actually existed, but there have been accounts of it since the description of King Philippe's procession. But if it did ever exist, that may have been the only one ever created. Because I can't, can't imagine that if it didn't exist, at least for this one portion, why would it have been written down? But I don't know. But that's also not the end of the story. No. Not more. Let me rephrase. It's not the end of mentioning the cat organ slash piano. I said it's been talked about for over 400 years. And because Kirschner wrote about it in his book in 1650, and it was a major publication for centuries in regards to musicology, many though thought the cat piano as bizarre. Some even believed it could have been possibly helpful. Wow, there's something wrong with people. Well, yes, but you'll find this hilarious. In 1803, German psychiatrist Johann Christian Grail, who also was the first person to coin the term psychiatry, believed that the cat piano or katzenklavier might help those who suffered from chronic daydreaming. Quote, a fugue played on this instrument must bring even the most catatonic person to consciousness. It's gonna wake the dead, <laughs> and the dead have risen from their graves because of the sounds of the cat piano. I think if you play the cat piano, the dead might rise and tell you to go, like, just stop. We're having a nice, quiet afterlife. Why are you ruining it? They're <laughs> apparently during the Victorian times because they loved things weird and bizarre, as we know. There were also several illustrations depicting this bizarre instrument throughout most of the Victorian times of the 1800s. And the early 1990s, there were even Christmas albums that had been put out using the meows of cats. One of them is called A Meowy Christmas, and the other one is called Here Comes Santa Claus. There was also a, a, a song, I can't remember which episode, but I, um, it was a, it was popular in the mid '90s. I remember seeing it on the Drew Carey show. But 
there was a there's similar to the cats album there was the same version but for dogs where they used dog barks and used it as a musical instrument kind of like <sighs> okay it wasn't santa got run over by a reindeer but it was <laughs> the name of that song is also it's a very silly song no i'm trying to remember it was like blue, blue collar comedy tour but they were doing a um 12 nights of christmas album or something and i thought i remember something about cat meows in that now here's a here's i, I always have to bring a little extra something and Kersher even wrote in his book about this cat organ that it could also be used to stir princes to laughter, bringing them out of their melancholy. Because it's also apparently will bring a catatonic person back to life. There is an event that actually took place in 2010, just 12 years ago, with Prince Charles. Now, this did not include real cats. I'm making that clear. This did not include real cats. During apparently a garden party at Clarence House, Charles found himself very quite amused, as the article put it, during a performance of Over the Rainbow that instead of real cats used squeaky cat toys to make the sounds. I'm trying to hold in my laughter. And uh, I'm sure you have some squeaky cat toys. So imagine a squeak toy playing over the rainbow for English royalty. I do I don't... have squeaky cat toys. But, but I... squeaky cat toys. I'm just imagining someone holding the squeaky mice as they're trying to do somewhere over the rainbow. <laughs> like, but how does the squeaky toy hold the note? Well, I can't imagine it's probably too much different from bell ringing and doing songs with bells. Hmm. Oh, the, 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 the port of, I mean, because bells can have that extra reverb if you're not doing it exactly right. Fair and enough. apparently, even as far back as 2009, the cat piano was also still quite talked about. Nick Cave, uh, not Nick Cage, Nick Cave, as in Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, the band apparently narrated a short film about the cat piano. The film is actually called The Cat Piano, and it tells the tale of a city of cats whose musicians were kidnapped by humans in order to make a cat piano for the humans. And apparently this short film won several awards and was even nominated by the Academy to win an Oscar for Best Animated Short, but it lost that year. It's about nine minutes long, I think very very short film we um that's fascinating i didn't know that actually <laughs> i uh might have to watch it after this it's a short film i'm sure you can find it online i was more amused about the charles squeaky toy over the rainbow bit but i mean i'm i'm definitely amused but i don't see a recording of that are you much amused readily available huh are you much amused I am very amused. Okay, Victoria. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Would you like to go on to the second of our three topics? No, I don't want to hear about animal torture anymore. No, please continue. So another is a tale of animal instruments. Uh, now, first, let's, before I tell you about the actual instrument, 
let's start with the king and his very strange, bizarre commission. So Louis XI, who uh, reigned from 1461 to 1483, obviously in France, was known to be an absolute horrible king and an absolute horrible person. Often called Louis the Prudent, Louis the Cunning, and also the Spider King. Well, no, I'm saying, like, we have never, but in my readings about him, I've never heard him called the Spider King, but maybe I don't remember it. That's very feasible. Well, I think it depends on where you hear it from. I, uh, a lot of the sources I had frequently referred to him as the Spider King, but it could be depending on where you're getting your sources from. But apparently he was referred to as the Spider King because he was consistently spinning webs of plots and conspiracies in order to maintain his control over everybody. He was also known to be incredibly cruel, very stingy, and very unscrupulous. He wasn't known for being great. I mean, he also did rebel against his own father. Well, that's not uncommon royalty at all. No, it just shows like, how very similar to all the other really terrible royals of that time that he was. I don't even know about that time, just at any point within history and even modern history. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, as they say. Yep, that, that is true. Mm -hmm. Now, with that over about Charles, or sorry, Louis, I keep wanting to call him Charles. Uh, let's talk about his bizarre instrument commission. So the story goes, one day while he was walking through the streets of Paris, the king stopped on his route, was stopped in his route via some roaming pigs. And apparently mentioned this to the local Abbe de Bagnet, noting that he found the noises of pigs to be quite musical. And apparently comparing pig squawks or squeaks, in, like, you know, uh, comparing them to birdsong which is the first time I've ever heard that. And I like pigs, but I would not compare their noises to birdsong. Louis then challenged the Abbey to develop an instrument so strange, but that it also must amuse him. The Abbot accepted the challenge. Interestingly enough though, the Abbot was actually something of an inventor and spent quite some time working on this instrument. And this is a quote from one of my sources. He had a construction made containing velvet covered cages to hold the pigs in order from shoats to full grown boars. An organ keyboard was attached to an apparatus that would prick the pigs rumps with metal spikes when keys were depressed. The pigs grunting and squealing in pain and fear comprised the quote music. The king and royal court were impressed and probably more by the abbot's ingenuity than the actual concert itself. Now, in terms of the horrible history sketch, yes, this is the pig piano from one of the horrible history sketches. The funny thing about that sketch, though, is they do make reference to this, but then Simon Cowell comes in and he's like, no, you did fine, little piggy. You, you were horrible. You were horrible. You were really cute. And I'm going to take you home. It was very silly. Now, of course, given the nature of the instrument, as well as Louis's absolute need to control everything, 
I don't know if maybe Louis had it in for the Abbe and constructed the challenge thinking that maybe he couldn't do it. Or perhaps knowing of the Abbe's reputation for inventing strange things, he asked him to come up with the most bizarre thing he could. Personally, I think maybe in either case, the Abbe, given Louis's nature, had a very uphill challenge at this. But <laughs> surprisingly, the Abbey was able to come through and able to amuse this very unscrupulous, ruthless, conniving king with a pig piano. And this was in just as terrible as the first one. Hmm? Just as terrible as the first one. True, but this one came first. This was in the 1470s. The other one was uh, 1549. Yes, but you spoke about the other one first. So. True. True. Now, another quote from one of my sources is that the brutal monarch Louis XI of France is said to have constructed with the assistance of the Abbe de Vanier an instrument designated as a pig organ for the production of natural sounds. The master of the royal music, having made a very large and varied assortment of swine, embracing specimens of all breeds and ages, these were carefully voiced and placed in order according to their several tones and semitones, and so arranged that a keyboard communicated with them severally and individually by means of rods ending in sharp spikes. In this way, a player, by touching any note, could instantly sound a corresponding note in nature and was able to produce at will either a natural melody or harmony. The result is said to have been striking, but not very grateful to human ears. I can imagine that. Interestingly enough, much like the cat piano, the pig piano has also, as I said, been uh, known for centuries. This actually existed back. This one was at least the one created was real in the 1470s but technically this one made a bit of a comeback surprisingly of all places in cincinnati ohio in 1839 with the creation of the porco forte cincinnati ohio cincinnati is apparently referred to as porkopolis and if you're interested in reading more about pigs and their relation to cincinnati there's a really great uh website called porkopolis it's in the notes it's actually All really right. interesting yeah and the music or sorry the instrument was actually used in the 19th century um not not the physical instrument although it, like i said it did come back in 1839 but in terms of referencing the instrument also apparently for some reason was used during the Victorian times as a jibe towards Italians. Apparently, jibe towards there was it, Italians, you said? Yeah. Okay, just making sure. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what pigs and Italians have to do with each other in this reference. It was, yeah. I'm confused too. Yeah. Apparently, there was a quick step song, which is a type of dance that came out in the, the mid to late 1830s or 1800s called La Piganino. But it was written by an American composer and was specifically used to mock the Italian influences on chic culture. Because think about it throughout much of history, it's either like haute French couture or haute Italian couture, if you will. Like usually it's the Italians or the French pushing the fashion trends. 
So apparently at this time, it was the Italians pushing the fashion trends, which of course, by the turn of the century, then the French would be pushing the fashion trends. So I guess this is the Americans way of saying, we don't like the Italian fashion trends. I don't know. But uh, one of the quotes from one of my sources says, we may suppose that in more than a few parlors, La Pegalino was slipped into the music rack as a hint to the vocalist when the evening reached that point at which I guess ears began to droop. So I guess when everyone's ready to leave, you play La Pegalino. So it's like the 1850s version of closing time. I don't know. Now, where the cat piano was used to tell the cruelty of the nobles and the royalty, because it was commissioned. Well, I guess they're both commissioned by the kings, but the cat piano was specifically used as a way of telling about the cruelty of royalty and nobility. The pig piano was actually used as quite the opposite. I think mostly because pigs are farm animals and they're in reference to farmers and, and breeders. So instead of royalty and no nobility, the pig piano was often used as a reference towards the poor. The background was a commons-related conflict. Poor farmers tended to let their pigs roam freely, feeding on what the rich did not use, whereas the rich preferred towns and property to be, to be tidally divided. The striped pig was used to represent such untidiness in general and drinking men specifically. Paganino and related cartoons insofar referred to uppity and wannabe neighbors and their porcine conflicts with others. So you want to insult somebody? Played like a Piganino, I guess. I've got one more, but as I said, this one does not involve animals. But it's still okay. certainly bizarre. I'm okay with bizarre as long as we don't have any more animal torture. There's torture, but not animal torture. It's human torture. Same thing as animal torture, but for some reason, I think that bothers us less because we know that it existed way back in the day. Well, I And it still exists today. Torture as a whole exists anywhere and everywhere. I think it doesn't bother us to see humans tortured because we can stop. I mean, it's just, I, it's kind of like watching, like with John Wick, when the dog dies. You don't want to see the dogs die. There's, there's certain rules to certain things. It's like when you kill off a dog in a, in a like Old Yeller or something, you're going to make the viewers angry. <laughs> don't watch Old Yeller, you'll cry. <laughs> Oh, no, no. Was it Old Yeller or Where the Red Fern Grows? They're both going to make you cry, whatever. But last yeah. on our list, as I said, thankfully, has nothing to do with animal torture. But as I said, also, it does have to do with human torture. But again, it's the Middle Ages. There was a lot going on. Crusades, crusades, crusades. Now, this time, though, we're going to delve into a poet whose music could probably be classified as sadistic enough that Louis XI may have actually even enjoyed it. That's my speculation. I don't specifically know. But given how cruel and sadistic Louis XI was, he may have liked this poet's kind of uh, his troubadour songs. You know, we'll see. But let's start at the beginning before we get to the songs. And I have lyrics by the time we get to the end of this. So okay. who is this? very well-known French troubadour from the 1100s that wrote of human suffering and pain. His name was Bertrand de Bourne. And there was another horrible history sketch about this with some songs because he's a troubadour. Don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. 
Nope, nope, nope. Also, another one that also involves Simon Cowell coming in and telling him he should uh, not make music because it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> Simon Cowell, Simon Cowell, that song? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that exact sketch, yes. Oh, well, God. Okay, yes. yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. So Bertrand de Bourne was born the eldest son of Bertrand de Bourne who also, when he married and had a son, his name, he's named his son Bertrand de Bourne. So that does not get confusing at all. But the son, as we're going to refer to him, was also at one point after his father died, became the Lord of Hotfort and around 1140. And he had two younger brothers, Constantine and Itier. And when his father died in 1178, the younger Bertrand inherited the titles and lands. And by this time, he was also married and had two sons. Again, one of those named Bertrand. Now, given feudal customs at the time, in France at least, Bertrand, though inherited the titles, he also had to share everything with his brothers. It wasn't just went to one person, kind of like medieval feudal and title inheritances. In France, it was divided, more or less. And this would actually become a very major dominance for struggle between him and his younger brother Constantine specifically and this particular struggle dominated Bertrand's poetry as well as much of the politics of the time as well and this is also the time again as I said crusades 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 so his first known dated work is said to have been around 1181 but we do know he already had a reputation as a poet before that point and mostly he tended to write things that were called serventes, uh, which were political and sat, uh, political songs and satirical songs or satirical satire, political satire songs, however, whatever you want to combine it to be. And apparently he was even well reputed that he was present at the court of Henry II in England in 1182 and frequently would write songs about war men fighting in war and encouraging men to rebel and fight in war the the land that him and his family lived in was currently under the control of england because you like you have henry ii so you had matilda and stephen and henry ii was matilda's son so this is kind of this is like it's not specifically the aquitaine area but this was an area of france that was still currently ruled by england so they were more English subjects than they were French subjects, technically. And at first, Bertrand was on the side of Henry II. Henry II's son, do you remember? Oh, no. I don't remember any of this. If you don't, listeners, refer to our, our series on the, on the Wars of the Roses. <laughs> No, this was like 300 years before that. You just talked years? about Henry II, Matilda, right? Yeah. Do we, do we briefly go over Matilda during that? Just a little bit. I was like, Water Rosa started in the 1450s. Oh, I'm thinking of the other Matilda, though. Having a moment. William the Conqueror what? Matilda? Which Matilda? Stevens Matilda? I think, yeah, I think so. We, we talked about one of the Matildas. 
unless I'm really confused on names, which is again, feasible with how many names are in that dang storyline. Well, I would say I more so reference the monarchy song of horrible histories, but I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll. That, that would be a really, really great one. And we can actually put a link to that in the notes. If I've got room to put in the notes, yes, I've got 12 sources for this entire episode. So I've got lots of notes, but um, in terms of English monarchy, if you're going back to Matilda, so you had William the Conqueror and his wife, Matilda, and then they had two sons and their daughter, Matilda, who was supposed to take the throne after Henry the first died, but then she fought with Stephen and Stephen's wife was Matilda. Stephen beat out Henry the second, who was the granddaughter's with the Empress Matilda's son. So it went from Henry the first to Henry the second, or sorry, Henry the first to Uncle Stephen, and then nephew Henry the second took the throne. And then Henry the second married Eleanor of Aquitaine. They had Richard and John. And yeah, Richard the Lionheart. Mm -hmm. So, and this is kind of the, point the disaster. Where, yeah. This is, this is just around the same time that Richard's going off in crusade, but also rebelling against his own father for the throne. Didn't they all? Well, yeah, pretty much. It's my turn. Now, <laughs> as I said, Bertrand was on the side of Henry II, to start with at least, because being their overlord, Henry II was able to return their castle and land specifically to Birchon, and at which point Constantine kind of gave up that fight of also owning the lands and apparently then became a mercenary. Now, when Richard I, the Lionheart, became king, Bertrand was not a fan. He was not a fan of him before and then, he was not a fan of him now. And at one point, Richard and King Philip were delaying their course to go on the third crusade Bertrand was there satirizing them in songs, singing about the heroic defense of the city of Tyre, mocking the new overlord, Richard I. Eventually, though, Bertrand also, I think mostly through the songs, helped to sow discord between Richard I and Henry II, but eventually kind of would make up with Richard and would even, a, even potentially accompany Richard on the later crusade. Now, when Bertrand was witted for the second time in 1196, he decided he would then become a monk and took up robes at the Cistercian Abbey of Dallon. And prior to taking his, this new life, over the previous years, he'd also apparently made very large, several large grants to this specific abbey. So they welcomed him because he had some money. His last known song is dated to 1198. And it appears to no longer be listed in any charters as of 1202. And it's believed that he died in around 1215 because at the Cistercian Abbey, there is a record for payment of candles bought to light his tomb. So we know that he died in and around 1215. In his life, Bertrand was very well-traveled and very well-known for his songs and arts. And in total, his repertoire would consist of around 47 known works, or at least 47 that survived that we're aware of. Several of his works, as I said, do survive today. And over time have even been recorded by various artists, such as uh, Cinquentia, 
Gerard Zucchetto and his Troubadours art ensemble. And then there's the Martin Best Medieval Ensemble that also covers some of them. Now, I'll get into it in just a second, but Bertrand wrote a bunch of different stuff. He wasn't just solely into war, ravages of war, rebellion, satire, and political satire. He would write love poems and stuff too. Now, because Henry II believed that Bertrand was also partly responsible for the rebellion of his son, Richard I, later on down the road, Dante wrote Bertrand into his book, The Inferno. And here, Bertrand is actually portrayed as a sower of schism, punished to the ninth bulgia of the eighth circle of hell, carrying his severed head like a lantern. And I have a quote from the book. I saw, indeed, as it seems as if I could see it still, a body without a head, walking as the others of the sad flock walked, and it held its severed head by the hair. It bore in its hand like a lantern, and that looked upon us and said, Oh me, of itself it made a lamp for itself. Oh, yeah. And they were two and one and one and two. How that could be, he knows who commands it. And when it was right at the foot of the bridge, it lifted up its arm with the whole head to bring near us its words, which were, now behold the grievous punishment, thou who breathing, ghost beholding the dead, see if any be great as this, and that thou mayst carry news of me, known that I am Bertrand de Bourne, he who give ill counsel to the young king. I made father and son rebellious against each other. Archidephel did no more to Absalom and David with his accursed goadings. Because I parted persons, thus I joined. I carried my brain, alas, parted from its beginnings, which is in this trunk. Thus is retaliation observed in me. Dante has a way with words. That's an understatement. <laughs> you know what it kind of reminds me of? Hmm. I don't know if anybody who listens to this is gamers. Actually, I take that back. I do know some people who that listen to, to the podcast are gamers because they're co-workers. But some of us play a game called Hades, which is, of course, based off of Greek mythology. I don't know if you're, you and I know about the tortures that occurred to some of the people in Greek mythology, like Sisyphus and the boulder up, consistently having to push the boulder up the hill. Was that a punishment in Hades, or was that a punishment by Zeus? What? Sisyphus was a punishment in Hades? I thought that was a punishment by Zeus. Yes, I'm just talking about afterlife punishment. I just immediately went to Greek mythology. You said Hades. I'm thinking down in Hades and like in the underworld. I'm like, Sisyphus doesn't work, belong in the underworld. Okay, got it. Well, the underworld is also called Hades. Not just the god. So I was referring to Hades, the underworld portion where like Tartarus sits. The deepest, darkest depths of Hades is Tartarus. Right. So that I I can just, I'm just thinking of it, but I'm transporting it from ancient Greece to England slash France. It's just freaking weird. (laughs) I'm not done. I haven't read you any lyrics yet. Oh, no. That was just a passage from Dante's Inferno. Of course it was, because it's Dante. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Dante is so much fun to talk about. He's a whole nother episode. Machiavelli, lady. Dante. I'll just go watch Overly Sarcastic's productions, uh, episodes on Dante and Machiavelli, and I'll be good. 
I mean, you can't go wrong, so. No, 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 no. Or maybe I'll just watch the Pope Wars and I have a good laugh. Uh, but continuing on with Bertram. So Dante was in, I think, 16, late 15, 1600s, if I remember correctly. But Bertrand also earned a reputation in the 1800s. Poet Eleanor Ann Porton actually wrote Bertrand into her epic poem, Que de Leon, or Heart of the Lion, in 1822. And here she has him sowing discord regarding the Third Crusade. And there are also several mentions of him throughout the 1900s, including songs based on him, as well as various poems and a play that even came out in 1936. And he was even used as recently as 2009 as a character in Paul Auster's The Invisible. So he's still talked about on occasion. Outside of horrible histories. Mm -hmm. Would you like to hear some of his songs? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> but if you were going to say something, go ahead and do that at all. Share some songs. I, I, I wish to hear nothing except the sound of my story. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. I'm tired. All right. So this is, I don't have a title for this one. Um, but it says, uh, we shall see battle axes and swords, a battering colored homes and a hacking through shields at entering melee. And many, again, I'm just reading this as if they're text because I don't know what the melody is supposed to be. That's okay. Um, and many vassals smiting together, whence there run free the horses of the dead and wrecked. And when each man of prowess shall become into the fray, he thinks no more of merely breaking heads and arms for a dead man is worth more than one taken alive. I tell you that I find no such savor in eating butter and sleeping as when I hear cried on them and from both sides hear horses neighing through their head guards and hear shouted to aid, to aid and see the dead with lance truncheons and a pendant still on them, piercing their sides. Barons put in pawn castles and towns and cities before anyone makes war on us. Papial be glad to go speedily to yay and nay and tell them that there is too much peace about. That's one. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, French troubadour music is it really its own. It's all epic poems, stories, and song kind of sort of in one. It's like a power ballad. <laughs> it's, yeah, medieval power ballad, I guess, if you will. They're, they're their yeah. own type of music, and they are long. Sometimes they are quite long, because it's kind of like if you took the, the, the Odyssey and put it into medieval music as a song instead of just reciting the story. That's what troubadour music is. So another one of his music, or another one of his lyrics go, For no man is held to be worthy until he has taken and given many blows, maces and swords, colorful helms, shields riven and cast aside. These shall we see at the start of the battle and also many vassals struck down, the horses of the dead and wounded running wild. And when he enters the combat, let every man of good lineage think of nothing but splitting heads and hacking arms, for it's better to die than to live in defeat. Kind of dark. He's dark. I said some of his, his, his poetry would probably be of interest to Louis XI. And I've got more. Just, just 
just a little bit there. A little bit more. Yeah. So this one is called the Lord of Auk and No, which I think is the Lord of Yes and No. But it's medieval French, so I'm not sure. The beautiful spring delights me well when flowers, leaves are growing, and it pleases my heart to hear the swell of the bird's sweet chorus flowing and the echoing wood, and I love to see all scattered around pavilion tents on the martial ground. And my spirits find it good to see on the level plains beyond gay knights and steeds caparisoned. It pleases me when the lancers bold set men and armies flying, and it pleases me to hear around the voice of soldiers crying. A joy is mine when a castle strong besieged shake, when walls uprooted totter and crack, and I see the foemen's join on the moated shores, all compassion round with the palisades and guards mounted. Or um, I'll just recite some of the lyrics from that one horrible history song if you want to just sum it up. My heart fills up with happiness every time I see corpses pierced clean with shafts of spears. I tell you my greatest joy is to hear the groans of help me, help me from defunding wounded. And I'll turn their heads into a mush of brains mixed with links of mail. And if you're looking for more poems and more information of Bertram, Henry II, and Richard I, see the link in our notes from elfinspells.com. There's a very long page of Bertram, his fight with Henry II and Richard I, and a slew of all more of his poems than what I have here. I broke when you started reciting the horrible histories one because I'm replaying it in my head as you said. I had to add it. I don't disagree, but I'm broken now. I'm done. <laughs> You're lucky I haven't fallen out of the chair from laughing. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh God, Jay, I gotta catch a breath. Thanks. So yeah, I've got this song stuck in my head too. Yay! Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. Glad I could. Yeah, he was an odd fellow, to say the least. But he was also incredibly popular. In fact, he was one of the most renowned troubadours of the medieval period. Yeah. Yeah, that again doesn't no. I mean, it's medieval. It's a very dark period in time. That's why it's called the Dark Ages. But yeah, so having dark things or dark poems just seems natural. I mean, you reflect what you intake, kind of situation is what I think. I I mean, I don't think that's why the dark, the Middle Ages are called the Dark Ages, but there's been dark. I'm just saying, like, it's partially, like, it, it was the Dark Ages, and then you had, you're intaking all this junk and everything else that's going on, so you're going to output that, all that, like, heavy stuff. Well, sure, but that's been going on since ancient times. There's plenty of references, and I mean, going back to Greek mythology, there's plenty of references to torture and pain. The, I think the Dark Ages were specifically referred to as the Dark Ages because the East-West Roman Empire schism. But oh, oh yeah, yeah, I I agree. I'm just saying, like, it was very very dark during that time period already. Ready, so that's 
what they're seeing and that's what they're outputting in their poetry and their plays and all that other thing. Well, that's true. If you think about, uh, I mean, this is way like 200 years, give or take, before the Black Death hit Europe, or at least that particular plague hit Europe. But around that time, if not maybe a little later, you've had songs like London Bridge is Falling Down and Ring Around the Rosie, which though we know them to be nursery rhymes, if you go back and look at the actual lyrics, they're references to plague victims and the, the, and, and the fall of uh, London, I think, in 1666. Yeah. Well, I think so. I know Ring Around the Rosie is about plague victims. I'm not sure if London, London Bridge is Falling Down is reference to the fire of London. It may have been reference to an invasion of London. But either way, it's not a children's nursery rhyme as we would think of today with being an innocent song. It's not. No, but I do believe I do have, I don't know if I've got it in weird history or if I've got it in our miscellaneous main topic section about the origins of nursery rhymes and how they relate to historical events in history. That's something for y'all to look forward to in a future episode <laughs> that we have yet to get to. <laughs> Stay tuned for the craziness on that one. Hmm. But in the meat, crazy. Uh, I, I've got no more bizarre torture methods uh, and songs to share today, so I'm done. I I think I've had enough torture for the day. Thank you. <laughs> we already tortured before we tried to record it because we had so much technical difficulty. I hate technology bane of my existence but we did it we got it recorded that's all that matters and in that case before anything else goes wrong we're gonna end this episode so that'll do for this episode of history explains it all and we hope to see you next week as we trek through history <gasps> to explain it all i had a great thought i oh, don't know ever happen but you know sabaton the band Sabaton. I'm I'm so sorry. I'm I'm that that part did cut. So what what did you say? Do you know of the band Sabaton? Oh yes. Do I know the band? Yeah. Yes. I've heard of them. I don't really like. I can't say I know their music very well. But you know what they do? No, not really. I I again I've heard of them, but I can't say I know their music very oh. well. They they they're they're a power metal band that also writes songs about historical events gonna have to look them up now i thought you'd like it I, I was surprised you hadn't heard of them before but imagine if they did decide to do like just a, a few songs or covers of bertram's music with his tortured lyrics but in power metal oh my god my brain Don't... goes all fun different places oh my god Okay, I'm going to re-sign off again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to... That's it. Dunzo. <laughs> Bye. We're going to do this for a second time. <laughs> That'll do for this episode of History Explains It All. And we hope to see you next week as we trek through history to explain it all. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye.